Well, thank you very much. It's lovely to see you all again. Um, and uh, we're carrying on with our... Can everyone hear me? Uh, I don't know how loudly I have to speak with the mic on. Um, so uh, I'm so used to people not listening to me, however loud I... <laughs> but I'm just uh, hoping for better things. All right, let's pray together, shall we? And we can begin. Father, thank you for this day. Thank you for this time that we have together now. And bless us, I pray, as we work and as we study together. Help us in all that we do to grow to be more like our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, for whose precious name's sake we ask it. Amen. <clears throat> I want to read to you briefly from the uh, Bible passage that I've uh, put uh, there on the piece of paper for today, uh, 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verses 1 to 8, uh, which will set the theme for our lesson this morning. Finally then, brothers, we ask and urge you in the Lord Jesus that as you received from us how you ought to live and please God, just as you are doing, that you do so more and more. For you know what instructions we gave you through the Lord Jesus. For this is the will of God, your sanctification, that you abstain from sexual immorality, that each one of you know how to control his own body in holiness and honor, not in the passion of lust like the Gentiles who do not know God, that no one transgress and wrong his brother in this matter, because the Lord is an avenger in all these things, as we told you beforehand and solemnly warned you. For God has not called us for impurity, but in holiness. Therefore, whoever disregards this, disregards not man, but God, who gives his Holy Spirit to you. We believe in one holy church. Holiness uh, is a word... Uh, which has lost its meaning. Uh, it has lost its meaning because it is extremely difficult to know what content it should have today. The reason for this, uh, we, to understand this, we have to go back a couple of hundred years uh, to the time of great revival in the 18th century. Uh, you may not realize this, uh, but... Uh, 200 years ago, only about 16% of the American population went to church on a regular basis. That may seem uh, hard to believe. Uh, and it may be even harder to believe that the South was among the worst uh, in this respect at that time. Uh, but then came revival. Uh, that is to say that preachers went out and, and, and preached the word of God on horseback and here, there, and everywhere. And all kinds of people turned to Christ. And it changed the face of the nation. Changed the face of the nation in a way which is still visible today. I mean, the, the, the long-term effect of this has been enormous. And of course, I would like to say on the whole, it has been for the good rather than for the bad. Part of this revival was a stress on holiness, that is to say, personal uh, behavior in the sight of God. And this, of course, was a good thing. It was a necessary thing. People who lived in a frontier society uh, had uh, 
very little guidance in how to live. They could get away with a lot because there wasn't anybody to tell them otherwise. Um, and to, to establish a social organization in, a, in, in places where there hadn't been any uh, is actually a much harder thing than you might imagine. Uh, and so uh, this message as it came was, was very timely, it was very important, and the way people behaved, the way they treated one another and so on, uh, was foundational uh, for the establishment of uh, a, a civilized society uh, in the places where the pioneers went. So it was a very important thing at that time. However, as time went on, uh, it uh, became uh, ritualized, you might say, and, and legalized, uh, so that uh, people uh, began to identify being holy, that is to say, being like God in, the, in their lives, with doing, or more specifically, not doing certain things. Uh, that if you were holy, for example, this meant that you didn't smoke, you didn't drink, you didn't play cards, you didn't do this, you didn't do that, and so on. And anybody caught doing any of these things, of course, was automatically banned, was automatically thrown out, was automatically regarded as somebody who was not doing the will of God. Now, the difficulty, of course, with this is that the things that were uh, singled out were in themselves not especially good things to do. I mean, it wasn't that he would want to recommend any of this behavior uh, to other people. But the problem was, uh, it was external. It was, you know, sort of morality, really, that you would see around you, rather than something that came from the heart. And the sad result of this uh, was that society as a whole became rather like the kind of society in which Jesus lived, where you had Pharisees, uh, you know, Jewish leaders, uh, who were in themselves good people. Uh, the Pharisees were good people. They were well-meaning people. They wanted the right thing. Uh, but they had turned the service of God into a series of, uh, uh, of laws and behavior by which they measured not only themselves, but perhaps even worse, other people. Uh, and would pass judgment, you see, in this way, and, and figure that this is really what being like God was all about. Now, in this country, those, you know, of course, this came to a head uh, in the 1920s with the whole uh, drama of prohibition. Uh, prohibition, which was uh, well, a supreme example of something that was well-meant, uh, but turned out to be a disaster. Uh, because, of course, although there must have been some people who gave up drinking as a result, uh, there were other people uh, who joined the Mafia. Um, and indeed, uh, that really got crime going in a big way. I mean, Al Capone, you know, sort of uh, came to prominence because of that at that time. Now, uh, and since then, you see, unfortunately, that disastrous experiment uh, revealed the weakness of this way of thinking. Uh, and since then, holiness has been a problem for us in the church because in part of us, we know that it really isn't these external things. 
you see. Uh, those things and themselves are not the criteria which we would use, whether they're good or bad in themselves, neither here nor there. But we're not going to judge somebody or somebody's uh, relationship with God on that kind of basis. But if we know that this is superficial and this is wrong and so on, and we shouldn't do this, what are we going to put in its place? And this is the problem. You see, we know what it isn't, uh, but we don't always know what it is, how we are to do this. And you see, the difficulty is that actually it's much easier to obey laws than it is to have the right attitude all the time. Um, Jesus knew this. You see, he said this to his disciples. He looked at his disciples and said, you know what the commandment says, thou shalt not kill. Now, none of his disciples, I assume, had ever killed anybody. I'm not going to ask for a show of hands, but I guess that probably nobody in this room has ever killed anybody, at least if you have, it's been in self-defense or when you were hunting or something else, um, you know, uh, like that. But, but you probably haven't done this. You see, most of us can take a commandment like thou shalt not kill, tick it off and say, you know, done that or not done that, uh, and assume you're okay. But Jesus sort of then looked, and he knew that, of course, and he looked at his disciples and said, oh, yes, he said, but wait a minute, I'm telling you that if anyone has had in their heart a bad thought about another person, they have killed that person already. Now, I know you're going to say to me, oh, what makes you think I have bad thoughts about other people in, your, in, in my heart? You know, what are you, what are you saying? And I say, t- my answer to you is, well, you drive, don't you? <laughs> and there's no such thing as a driver who doesn't have bad thoughts in his heart about other people. And what is worse, there are other people you've never met and don't want to meet, but they're in your way. You know what I mean? And have you ever noticed how many stupid people there are on the road. (laughs) In fact, just about everybody except you. I mean, that's what I think. Don't you think that? Anyway, um, you see what I mean? It's very easy to fall into this and very hard to pin it down. Because if you kill somebody with a knife or a gun or something like that, there's a body and I can sort of go and see the blood on your shirt or whatever it is and say, you did that and sort of put you in jail or whatever you do with people, uh, you know, who who do this. I mean, it's cut and dried. I shouldn't have said that, should I? But anyway, you know what I mean. Um, you You can kind of take it as read. But if you tell me, oh, no, I didn't have a bad thought in my heart about the person who stole my parking spot, how do I know whether you're telling the truth or not? I don't. You see, it's between you and God. So we have to let that one go. You see, you can't pin it down quite as obviously as that. And that's why real holiness is so difficult. You see, because it's, you can't measure it in the normal human way. And this is what the Apostle Paul is having to deal with when he writes to the church in Thessalonica and when he writes through them to us. First of all, he says... The commandments, the principles that I gave you, the commandments I gave you, he's talking to a new church, new Christians in this this place. He said, these are meant to be obeyed. Obedience is the heart 
of the Christian life. Disobedience is the root of sin. You see, ask yourself this question. Think about this for a minute. You see, what went wrong in the Garden of Eden? You see, there are some people who say, well, uh, you know, God should never have created Eve. That was the problem. To which the answer is, of course, if God hadn't created Eve, there wouldn't have been an economy. <laughs> you know, who would have spent any money? So, I mean, clearly that had to be, that had to happen because otherwise the world just wouldn't run. So that's not the answer. You know, and they say, well, God shouldn't have put that tree in the way. You know, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. I mean, that's putting temptation in the face of it. Why did he do that? You see? People will come up with this, with all these, these, these crazy answers. And I say, I, I put them because they are crazy answers. Now, what caused the problem in the Garden of Eden was disobedience. You see, Adam and Eve knew what they were supposed to do and didn't do it. And that was the trouble. The fact that it was a little thing, I mean, how could eating one little piece of fruit possibly lead to the destruction of the human race? Surely this is disproportionate. And in a sense, you're right, of course, to think like this, but that's not the issue. The issue is they did something that they weren't supposed to do, and whether it was big or small didn't really matter. Because when you start doing the wrong thing in a small way, it's not going to be very long before you start doing the wrong thing in a bigger way as long as you can get away with it. You know, one of the saddest things uh, is to read about people, as we do from time to time, you know, people who've been great successes in life, they've got to the, the, the top of whatever pole it is they've been trying to climb. And then all of a sudden, the, the truth is revealed and they come crashing down. And it's so many times over some little thing you know, and then you go back over the, the, their life history and you find that uh, they started off maybe with good intentions, ambition and so on, and they started cheating and they started cheating in a little way and then they got, a little, they got away with it, so they started cheating in a bigger way and they got away with it until the point uh, where they were so high up, you know, but the cheating was revealed and the empire they built comes crashing down and there's really no future for them anymore. What a terrible thing to find yourself in if that were to happen to you. And it all started with something small, something trivial. And often, of course, uh, it's something that, that turns up. It's revealed, uh, you know, suddenly something trivial that you never thought would have happened. You, you don't imagine how this could, how this could be. Uh, but somebody sort of picks up on something, the investigation begins, uh, and then the whole, uh, the whole thing uh, comes unstuck uh, and tragedy results. We don't want this to happen. Don't start down that path. If God commands us to do something, we must listen and we must obey because obedience is the, is, is the foundation. Then, of course, we are told, uh, and, and the apostle does this, we are taught by exhortation, you see. Uh, we have to be reminded of this. This is what I'm doing right now. What I'm saying to you is obvious. It's something you know. It's something you presumably agree with. Uh, and you say, say to yourself, why are you saying this? I'm saying this because we have to be reminded all the time. I have to say it to myself all the time. 
You see, the problem with me is not that I don't know what I should be doing, it's that I don't want to do it half the time. You know, I mean, you can sit and lecture me for hours about the right thing, you know, and I'll fall asleep because I know what the right thing is. You're not telling me anything new. Uh, but I'm guilty for this because I'm not actually planning to do it. You know, and in fact, your lecturing me is just stopping me from getting on what I really, with what I really want to do. So will you please stop so that I can get, you know, I can, I can do what I want and not have to listen to any more of this. You know what I mean? This is the way we are. Uh, in ourselves. This is how we're made. And we need to be honest about this. We need to face ourselves in this way and recognize that we do need to be reminded about this. You see, the exhortation that we're given is not superfluous. It's not unnecessary. That the things we really learn are things that we know already uh, that we don't do and when we pick ourselves up from having fallen down we realize, well, there was a point to that, wasn't there? You know, that's how you learn. That's how we learn. And then, of course, uh, as Paul says to the, to the people, we must practice what we preach. You see, it's no good me standing up here and telling you what to do if I don't do it myself. And this is one of the hardest things. You see? Because uh, for me to say this, I mean, it's all logical. It's all in my head. I mean, I can, all, I can kind of picture it and make a sort of uh, diagram and so on, and it all fits very nicely. Can I go out and then do it? You see, can I actually put into practice what I know to be right? Well, that's a real challenge. You see, and I know, and you know, that you won't see me, and you won't know whether I'm doing it or not. You see, and there's a little voice inside me which says, well, it doesn't matter because they won't see. You know, um, and so, so why worry about this? And I have to say to myself, but that's not the point. You see, I'm not being judged by you, I'm being judged by him. And if I don't do what is right, if I don't practice what I preach, then I will be answerable to God and not to those whom I've told to do the right thing. And being answerable to God is far worse than being answerable to other people. Because what can other people do? I mean, the worst thing you could possibly do is take out a gun and shoot me. You know, and that would get rid of me in this world. But of course, God can do far worse than that. God can shut me out of his presence, not just in this world, but forever. And that's what I'm really worried about. Because if you take me out of this world, you're only hastening a process that's going to happen anyway. You know, but being shut out of the kingdom of heaven is a whole different matter. This is the bar. This is the judgment which we all have to face. And this is why we are called to practice what we preach. Holiness is our standing before God, before and above our standing before other people. Our standing before other people counts, yes, but it counts only in the sight of God and in relation to that. And let us never forget that what other people don't see, he sees. What other people don't know, he knows. Because he sees what is in our heart and he knows what is on our minds and he watches over what we do. 
The Apostle then goes on to point out different aspects of sanctification. Sanctification is how to become holy, how to be holy. And the first thing he points out is that we live in a fallen world. We must not be deluded about this. Uh, And sometimes refraining from doing things, even if the things are not particularly bad in themselves, is the right way to go. Now this is difficult. You see, in the early church they had this argument about whether you were allowed to eat meat that was sacrificed to idols. And there were people who said, well, there are no idols. You know, if somebody takes a, 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 say, a steak and goes and offers it to, say, Venus or, you know, Apollo or somebody like that, and then goes off and starts eating it, what difference does it make? Because there is no Apollo. I mean, these people don't exist. These gods don't exist. I mean, it's a complete waste of time. Uh, so you can, uh, you can eat this stuff because it, nothing has happened to it. And in one way, of course, they're right. But there are other people who say, well, perception is part of the reality. If you go and do that kind of thing, you are doing something which is a denial of the, uh, of, of the God whom you believe in, and then you are carrying on as if this doesn't matter. And so, although there may be no objective problem with this, you see, uh, and you may say, well, it doesn't actually affect the quality of the meat. Well, no, it doesn't. You shouldn't do this because of the impression that it leaves on other people. And if you turn around and say, well, I don't really care what other people think, you know, uh, so what uh, if, if, if they get the wrong idea? That's not my problem, that's their problem. You could find yourself in a situation where you're actually causing other people difficulty in their minds and in their lives because of behavior which you are claiming is your right to do this. I mean, why should you not do this? But uh, it is actually not conducive to good relations. It's not really helping others in the process. Now, we can say to ourselves, we don't have that problem now. Thank goodness. I mean, we don't. That's not our problem. But there are other ones. I discovered this when I was newly ordained. I had a church in, in London, the east end of London. And we used to have a lot of very odd folk customs um, there. Uh, and one of the things that we had to do, I had to do, uh, was when it came to funerals, uh, we used to parade around the streets within, with the hearse, you see, in the coffin. Uh, and so on, I suppose because the creditors just wanted to make sure that the guy was dead. I don't know. But anyhow, uh, I mean, it was my job, you see, to, uh, to walk in front of the hearse. And you just have to be grateful that hearses can travel very slowly. But anyway, I had to walk in my robes and everything like this, you see, in, in front of the hearse. Until we got within sight of a pub. And then the undertaker would sort of tap me on the shoulder and I'd have to get into the hearse. And then we, I would ride in the hearse past the pub and as soon as the pub was out of sight, I'd get out of the hearse again and stand in front of it and, and walk on. And this sort of folk custom, you know, I, thought, I said to the undertaker one, I said, why do we do this? You say, what is this? And he said, oh, he said, you don't want to be seen outside a pub. And I said, well, 
you know, I'm actually in my funeral gear. I mean, does anybody really think I'm going to go, you know, go in there and start drinking, you know, while the hearse sits outside? And um, so they said, no, 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 but that's not the point. You see, you're just giving the wrong impression. We just, we just don't want this. Well, I puzzled over this for ages because I thought to myself, this is something that would, would never have entered my head. Mind you, walking in front of a hearse would never have entered my head either. But still, you know, this whole, this whole way of thinking seemed very strange to me at the time. And I thought, what's the problem? Do they really think I'm that kind of person, you know, that would do this? I mean, would anybody sort of, sort of get the wrong idea and all the rest? I mean, it didn't make any sense to me, you know. And uh, I just, it took ages. And then finally I said to myself, well, I don't get this. I don't really understand this. But it obviously makes sense to them, and they would be upset if I didn't do it. And so forget what I think, you see. Forget what's right or wrong in my mind about this. Do what they want because it matters to them. You know, they're going to get somebody, they think they're going to get the wrong impression, all right, I don't want to be a stumbling block, I don't want to stand in their way. And so I conformed to that. I mean, to this day, I really still don't understand it very much. I mean, it seems odd to me. But I thought I was doing the right thing, you see, by not causing problems where there was no need to cause a problem. Now, all right, I don't suppose many of you have had been put in that position uh, here either. So I just share that with you as something that happened to me. But let's take another thing much closer to home. I teach in a divinity school, you know, which um, is a very challenging experience if you want to be a child of God, let me tell you. Uh, but um, one of the things is that we have uh, a lot of students, a lot of our students, work in coffee shops. They work in Starbucks or O'Henry's or something like that around town to make money. You see, they pay it, but that's fine. So I find out about this, if somebody's working in some place or other, or they, 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 they're waiters in restaurants or anything like this. And if I find this out, I try to make a point of going around there sometime while they're on shift, you know, just to say hello, to sort of give them encouragement, so that, you know, you're not just a body sitting in the classroom, we do care about you, ha ha. And, um, <laughs> you know, uh, and, and so on, and just try to kind of, kind of show them that, you know, there's something like this. And to me, this, is a, this, is, this seemed like a natural thing to do and a nice thing to do and so on. But I didn't realize when I started doing this, there's a problem with this. Because, of course, the student who's doing this, is sort of working, say, in Starbucks or whatever, sees the professor coming along and thinks, oh, I've got to give him a free cup of coffee. Mm. And so when I realized that, you see, I said, no way. I said, I'll come and visit you in your coffee shop, but I am not getting, taking a free cup of coffee from you. I said, I don't care whether you can do this because you work there or anything like that. I am not a scrounger. I am not freeloading. Uh, I will not do this. You see, I'm not coming for a free cup of coffee. I'm coming because of you. And I want that to be understood. And I don't want you to see me coming and thinking, oh, you know, this is going to cost me money. 
No way. All right? If anything, the other way. I'll buy you a cup of coffee, but I don't want you buying for me. I don't want this to happen. I don't want this to be said. So we kind of had an agreement about this. See, this is fine. But then a worse thing happened. You can't believe, you see, how complicated this can be. I went one day with a colleague of mine and discovered, of course, to my horror, that this particular colleague of mine did the same thing I did. You see, went down coffee shop, seeing students and so on, but did not refuse free cups of coffee. <laughs> so this led to a conflict, not between us and the student, but between us as colleagues. You know, and it's terribly difficult, you know, when, you've, when you're a university professor and realize you're working with people who flunk kindergarten. Um, but I sort of said, this is not right. What do you mean it's not right? You know, they offer, we say, no, I said, it's not right, you shouldn't do this. I said, you'll get a reputation. I said, and if you don't think you have a reputation, I'll make sure you have a reputation. <laughs> I said, not having this. So, anyway, the long and short of it is we don't have coffee together anymore, um, as you might imagine. But it kind of made me realize how easy it is, you see, if you, if you have a position in life to take advantage of it, however small or trivial this may seem to be. Now, today is the first anniversary of that Italian cruise ship. What was it called? The Costa something or other? You know, that, what? No, 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 not Costa del Sol. The one that went to ground a year ago and 32 people were killed in Italy. You remember this? It was a big thing. And I saw this on the, on the news last night. And I thought, I remember at the time when it happened, and I was thinking, what am I going to say about this to class tomorrow, uh, the one-year anniversary? Now, if I were at home in my home church in England, of course, it wouldn't be, this wouldn't be a problem because I could just simply, I would just say, well, you know, the, the captain of the ship, you may remember at the time, uh, he just took off. I mean, he was the first off the ship, uh, or, or so it seemed. Now, of course, if I said this in my own home church, everybody would just shrug and say, well, Italians, what do you expect? <laughs> but, um, well, that's called the European Union. Um, but, but you can't, I mean, I'd go to jail if I said that in this country, you know, it's politically incorrect. So I will say he was so traumatized that he didn't know what to do, so he ran away. Um, and, uh, and there we are. But you think to yourself, I thought about this, and I thought, you know, it's really the same thing at a different end of the, you might say, of the, of the worldly scale, because there was this man who had this responsibility, he had this position, and when it, you know, the challenge came, when the, when the, 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 the time came when, when that position was called into question, when he had to sort of show leadership, he ran away. You know, the idea that the captain goes down with the ship, oh, forget that. You know, uh, the ship goes down, but the captain escapes. <laughs> Presumably because his mistress didn't want to sleep with the ship. But anyway, never mind, Italians. Um, so there, you see, you're, you're going like this. And I thought to myself, well, you know, there's a parable here about our whole society. Because the crisis of authority in our society, I think, is not because a whole lot of people are rebelling. 
I mean, there are people rebelling, of course, right, left, and center, but that's true. But it's really because the people who have authority don't exercise it in the right way. You know, authority has become tarnished by the misbehavior of those to whom it is entrusted. The other thing I saw on the news last night, I'm sorry, I just, I watched the news. I should have, this was a big mistake, as you can tell. But was that the, 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 the present Congress has a 14% approval rate. And I was horrified. I thought, 14%. And then the announcer said, this is an improvement because two months ago when they took the thing, it was only 10%. And, all right, allowing for cynicism and all these other things, it was a, why is it, you see, that wherever we turn today so often, you know, people in authority, people in, uh, of privilege and so on, are not trusted. Why is, it, why is there this reaction? And sadly, it, ha it is because too many of them have abused their position. And abuse of position is not just something you do if you happen to be, say, governor of the state of Alabama. You know, not that any such person ever would. But, you know, I mean, it's not, it doesn't start when you get that high. It starts much lower down. It starts with the little things. It starts with not paying for your coffee in the coffee shop. That's where it starts. You know, and then it grows from there into something uh, that uh, discredits whatever it is you're doing. And so to be holy is to take control of your life. You see, it is to be self-disciplined. It is to understand that we live in a fallen world, uh, that we have, to, we have to make sure that we are not putting ourselves in a position uh, where we can be compromised, where we can be criticized, where we are in fact bringing discredit on the things which are entrusted to us. And we need to teach this, we need to learn this, we need to discipline this. Um, I mean, one of the, the most interesting things uh, last week, that, to me anyway, uh, I, I was uh, listening to Coach Saban. If you watch the news these days, you can hardly do anything else. Um, but uh, he was on there and they were talking, he sent two young men home uh, from uh, the game in Miami before it started because they'd broken curfew. And there were some people who thought, oh, that's really tough, you know, these poor kids, they're going the first time they go to the, the game and so on. And he, had to, he said something about, well, no, this is discipline. This is, this is what they have to learn. And far better that they learn it in this way at this point in their life because this will stand them in good stead forever. And I thought, well, good for you. You know, I thought, here's somebody who's not just concerned about winning games. Here's somebody who's concerned about forming people, you know, forming character uh, and so on. And we should be grateful for this because this is what it's all about. This is the real victory. You know, this is the real thing uh, that we're called to do. Honest behavior. Do unto others as you would have them do unto you. It's a standard belief. We all say this. But put yourself in the victim's position. You know, ask yourself next time you do something, how would you feel if this were being done to me? If what I'm going to do to somebody else is something that, you know, what would happen if it were done to me? How would I feel? And it could be a little thing. You know, a very little thing. 
I mean, the other day, some, I was in, in, in the supermarket and uh, somebody dropped a pen. They walked off and dropped a pen, just a pen. And I picked it up. And I thought, well, do I keep this pen? You know, this person obviously didn't want it, dropped it. Well, no. I went after the person and said, this is your pen, so you dropped it. Now, we all do this, I hope. You know. But you say to yourself, okay, it's a, it's a small thing. You know, in one sense, you say it doesn't really matter. You can get a pen anywhere. You know, big deal. But you say to yourself, is it the right thing to do? How would I feel? You see, if it were me who drops out, I mean, maybe something else, like my car keys or something like that, something that I really needed. And somebody who came and picked it up and said, I'm sorry you dropped this, this is yours, instead of just pocketing it and walking off. You see, you wouldn't want that to happen to you. Don't do it to somebody else. Small thing. Of course it's a small thing. But as I, one thing, we, we, if we go away from here today with nothing else, remember that the small things are the things that really count in the end. Then, moving on, uh, we've got to run up because we're running out of time. <coughs> Reading this passage from Scripture, you might think that the Apostle Paul was obsessed with sexuality. I hesitate to say anything about this because, of course, being Episcopalian is almost a definition of being obsessed with sexuality these days, or so you would think. But, if, this is, if there's any truth in that, now, I don't want to get into this right now, but if there's any truth in that, I would say it is because this issue, this whole question, touches on the most fundamental aspect of life. You know, because as I keep telling my Baptist colleagues, if it weren't for sexuality, we wouldn't be here. You know, this is, this is how the human race is propagated. This is fundamental to our existence. And if it is corrupted, if it is abused, you see, if it is misinterpreted uh, and misunderstood, then this corruption will enter into our life. You are a temple of the Holy Spirit. Your body is a temple. You must uh, protect it. If you abuse other people sexually, if you allow yourself to be abused in this way, you are not respecting the temple that God has given you. And if you don't respect yourself, you will never respect anybody else and nobody will respect you. You know, this is fundamental to our whole existence, to our whole life. Uh, we cannot survive otherwise. Procreation, human life, uh, we must hold on to this, we must protect this. Now I know uh, that there are difficult situations, there are hard cases and so on. Of course there are. Uh, and sometimes these things have to be uh, judged and, and worked out with great uh, consideration for all the many uh, facets that it has. But if we don't keep this basic principle, you see, that this is our life that is at stake. You see, this is our, uh, uh, our calling before God, that to be an image in the image and likeness of God, to be like him in this way, then sooner or later we're going to get into terrible trouble. And we see around us a society which is living on borrowed capital in this way. 
you see. I mean, we live in a society where it's cool to be immoral. I mean, all you have to do is uh, watch television, uh, read magazines, and I hate to say it, but the women's magazines are worse than the men's, by far. Um, I don't read men's magazines because they're under wraps, uh, but women's magazines you can find in Walmart, you know, just as you're waiting there. I mean, dreadful some of the things that are in there, you know. Uh, and uh, you, you kind of say to yourself, there's no respect. There's no respect for the person. There's no respect for the body, you know. What is going on here? And this is dished up, uh, you see, right, left, and center to people. And we say to ourselves, well, I'm not like that. And we hope and pray that that's true. But it rubs off, you see. Uh, your, your mind is, is, is desensitized to these things. Uh, you shrug it off after a while. And so it no longer matters anymore, you see. I mean, look at all this business about gay marriage. What's the trouble? Well, it's because marriage has been so devalued that now we've got to the point, it's a word that could be used for anything, really. You know, I mean, any arrangement anybody cares to make with anybody, you might as well call it a marriage. Because we've lost sight of what the, a true marriage really is. The union of two people, male and female, for life. You see, the two will become one flesh, it says in the Bible. And we've forgotten this. We've allowed this to go by the board as a society. We're not defending this. And so it's hardly surprising, you see, to see uh, how the, the terminology gets abused. Uh, and we're, we're stuck, uh, you see, in the, in, uh, with this because uh, nobody knows what they're talking about anymore. You see, people have lost a sense of what is right and wrong about these things, and we're in big trouble. Finally, facing the consequences. If we allow this kind of thing to go on in our midst, if we tolerate what we know to be wrong, our relationships with one another will deteriorate. I have to write references for students all the time. And sometimes it's difficult to know what to say because I don't know the student very well or whatever like this. But one of the things I look for, what I try always to, to evaluate more than anything else, and I put in a reference if I possibly can, is this person trustworthy? And to me, the most important thing I can ever write in a reference for anybody else is to say, I would trust this person with anything. You know, this person is completely reliable. This person will tell you the truth. This person will do what he or she says he or she will do. And to me, that's the best reference I can give to, uh, for anybody. You know, they may be semi-literate, all right. But if you can trust them, you know, if you know that you can turn your back and that person will still be there doing the thing that they promised you they would do, that counts for an awful lot. You know, who needs brilliant people 
whom you can't let out of your sight. I mean, seriously. You know, I mean, who needs people that if you sign a piece of paper or something like that, they're just going to tear it up? Forget it. You know, we need trust. We need confidence. We need to be able to do this. And this is part of our holiness before God. I want to be somebody that you can trust. I want you to be somebody that I can trust. That's what matters to me. The rest we can fit in later on, you know. But that thing is fundamental. Because once that goes, it's almost impossible to get it back. You know, once you have been betrayed by another person, that betrayal will remain in your mind whatever happens. Overcoming that is, is, is one of the hardest things you can do. My advice, don't start. Don't let it happen. You know, and if it does, do everything you possibly can to reverse it. We'll lose any sense of value. It's another thing. What matters in life? If everything is just, uh, you know, something we do for our own advantage, where are values, what, what, what are the values? You see, we live in a world now, I mean, I do, I, and I know this, and you, do, you, you know this too. Are your social contacts building friendship, or are they just networking? Well, sometimes you have to network in business and so on, but you need to understand there's a difference. And sadly, many people I know don't see this. You know, they have no concept of having friends. To them, it's all networking. And a friend means somebody who'll, you know, who'll do something for you, whether it's right or wrong, whenever you need it. And if you turn around and tell them and say, no, a real friend is somebody who'll tell you that's wrong and you shouldn't do it, that's the real friend. How many of them have you got? You know? And the list gets a lot shorter. But we need this. We mustn't lose our sense of values, and we are in danger of this. But worst of all, and here is where I must conclude, once we lose sight of the holiness of God in our lives, we lose sight of the Holy Spirit at work uh, in our hearts, and we lose sight of God altogether. And that is the worst thing. You know, to be without God in the world because we are blind to his presence. You see, God doesn't go away. There's no such thing as living in the world without God. But if you are blind to him, if you don't see this, then you are of all people the most miserable because you are living with your treasure, with the source of your life around you, and you are denying this. You are rejecting this. You are pretending this is not there. And what a terrible fate to befall any of us. I hope and pray this does not happen to you, and please pray that this does not happen to me. Let us pray together. Our Father, as we go our separate ways, I ask now that you would 
take the things that I have said this morning, take what is good and put it in our hearts, uh, take all things that uh, we know to be true, and give us the strength and the power to live them out in our lives this day and every day, so that in all that we think, in all that we say, and in all that we do, we might truly glorify and honor and praise the name of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, for whose sake we ask it.